we need to get together and let our voices be heard. This is Buffalo What's Next. I'm Jay Moran. I'm Bridget Jaipal Valenza. And I'm Thomas O'Neill White. After May 14th, how can we afford not to talk about race? About education, about segregation, about humanity. Since the dawn of this nation, racial violence has existed. The way we have designed our society has a big hand in what occurred in that Topps market. The suburban area everywhere, we must work and teach our children. We need to make sure that we put more funding in our programs that help prevent gun violence and more money into art. If we're going to have some real healing. We've got to have space to tell some uncomfortable truths. Good morning and welcome to Buffalo What's Next. I'm Lorenzo Rodriguez and today we're in for a treat. Uh, we are being joined by a longtime Buffalo native and something that I, calling that I have flirted with but never, never taken the leap of faith and pursued it, uh, a children's author, Miss Aliyah L. Agostini. How are you today? I'm doing great. It's great to be here. Welcome to Buffalo me. What's Next. Yes. So I, I said, guess. As I said in my lead-in, uh, you are a Buffalo native, born and raised here. You're now in Jersey. We don't, we won't talk too much about that. But, <laughs> but Buffalo runs through your veins. You, you're, oh, very you're, much so. You're part of a, of, a, of a lineage, a family that's been here for for a while. We'll get into that as well. But yep. most notably, right now, you are a, a distinguished children's author. Yes. How? I mean, I've, I've, like I said, I've, I've always had that, that voice in my head. Maybe you should write some children's lit. I'm a father of, of two. Uh, you're a mother of two. I, uh, I I understand though. Writing for for children wasn't how you started. How how did you get to the calling of writing children's literature? Yeah, no, great question. Um, so I certainly would have never predicted to be in the spot that I'm in right now. Um, when I was in high school, and I was definitely more of a math nerd um, in mm. math league, which is definitely how most authors get their start, right? Um, but, uh, I was an avid reader when I was a kid. Um, I really loved to read. I love magazines. In fact, um, I actually wound up working in magazine publishing after undergrad. I went to Harvard for undergrad, studied economics, um, worked in publishing on the magazine side, went back to business school, worked in marketing, all the things that you would obviously say, read children's author, not so much. But the thing that really kind of pivoted me in this direction was when I became a mother. So I'm a mother of two. Uh, my daughter just turned eight and three quarters yesterday, if we're being specific. Ah, congratulations. You're almost there <laughs> yes, at the nine mark. Almost at that nine mark. Um, so when she was born, I had a lot of fun buying books for her because finally there were books that actually had children and families of color on them. And, and they were really sweet stories. But then as I started digging a little bit deeper, I realized that a lot of those books weren't even written by people of color. Of course, there were authors of color. There were more than there were when I was a kid, but there still weren't very many. Um, and then I had ideas for stories that I felt like weren't being shared. And I would jot them down every now and then, but I wouldn't really think twice about them. I never thought of myself as a writer, even though I actually did used to like to write blog posts and things for fun or just even you know short form things on on Facebook. Um, but when uh, actually it was probably about two 2019, I had an idea for a book that was focused on names and and saying names properly. And it's something that I realized that a lot of a lot of kids, especially kids of of color, have had experiences with you know microaggressions around that. 
um, in school. And I was like, you know, I feel like this is something that could be a thing. And so I started just telling everybody I knew, I'm trying to write a kid's book. How do I do this? How do I go about it? How should I, how should I go? How should I publish? Um, and I started talking to more people and I, and I, you know, I started believing in my ideas a lot more. Um, and I started writing even more and more books beyond the one that I initially had. And when the pandemic hit, um, you know, I had to make some choices about how I was spending my time. At the time, I was doing more marketing consulting um, with small businesses. My background was in brand management, and I worked at much larger companies before Daphne was born. And I stayed home and then started doing some more consulting, um, you know, when the kids were younger. But, um, you know, I was thinking about how I was going to spend my time. My kids were at home. I had to make sure I was focusing, you know, on them. But I was like, do I want to continue with these consulting projects or do I really want to kind of go towards this thing that keeps on tugging me? I have these ideas. I think they're good. Um, and so I, I did follow that gut and I started talking to people um, that had been in publishing. I attended some virtual conferences. I just kind of stumbled my way into it until I got to a point where I actually spoke to a, um, a friend of my husband's who was a published middle grade author, author. And I shared some of my work with her and she was like, wow your work is actually pretty good. Um, and so I started talking to her. I joined a critique group. Everything snowballed and eventually it was agented in uh, early 2021 and sold my first book then. And you've been busy. You've been quite busy yes. since then. You have the story of Juneteenth celebrating the end of slavery in the United States. We definitely yeah. want to get into that as we near that, that date coming up now next Monday. Um, you have uh, a little golden book biography of Oprah Winfrey. I'll be mm -hmm. picking that one up because we love the golden books, the little golden mm -hmm. books in our household. And uh, recently you released Big Tune, Rise of the Dance Hall Prince. I want to get into that because like that, that, that sounds like a fun, fun uh, foray into, into, into dance hall. I've never heard yes. of, a, of a children's book about dance hall. So, I somewhere, hadn't either. <laughs> somewhere, so, somewhere out there, uh, Sean Paul and, and, and Beanie Man and, and, and Bounty Killer they're all they're all smiling somewhere that we now have we now are represented in children's literature i certainly hope so if not somebody send them the book <laughs> <laughs> and Aliyah, uh that's there's a lot there you you you, you glossed real quick through it you're a harvard grad you you had math as a background and then all of a sudden like things tend to do life throws you curveballs you, you you become a mother and then you say hey we need better books out there also as a buffalo native you wrote the story of Juneteenth. This came out last year, I believe, correct? Yes, it came out last May. And as a black woman from Buffalo, what's your story in regards to Juneteenth? As many black folks in Buffalo know, like Buffalo knows Juneteenth very well. And I, I grew up celebrating Juneteenth. So when 2020 rolled around and it seemed like the rest of the world just learned about this quote unquote brand new holiday, um, I know most Buffalonians were like, why is everybody so late to the party? Um, so fortunately, there was a strong interest in learning about Juneteenth and, and teaching about Juneteenth. And there was an interesting multi-generational opportunity, I thought, to teach people about Juneteenth. So um, my publisher was actually interested in writing a book about the topic. And my agent presented the opportunity to me. And she didn't know anything about my family's background. And I told her, like, this is actually perfect. I would love to write a book about Juneteenth. I hadn't written nonfiction before, but my grandfather, Judson Price, was one of the founding members of Juneteenth Festival Incorporated, Juneteenth of Buffalo um, Festival. And he helped start the Juneteenth Festival in 1976 as a culturally responsive alternative to the, the, the country's bicentennial. Because the reality is 
freedom for black folks was not 200 years old at you know at the, at the time of the bicentennial it was hard to celebrate july 4th and the independence from british opposition yes. when when a lot of, of folks here weren't themselves free exactly you know in the words of frederick douglas you know what what to the american slave is the fourth of july you know and i kind of paraphrase that in, in in my book i say you know how how can someone who is not free celebrate freedom um so i knew about juneteenth and I, you know and the idea of it but there's still so much i had to to research for it so i knew that this book is something that could be powerful because like i i, I often say when i'm talking to people that i wanted to be part of the change that i wanted to see so many black folks especially felt like you know they were uneducated about this holiday and they felt so badly about it but the reality is it had been not it had not been included in our curriculum so i wanted to make sure that i was providing um, a really great resource for for children and also for for the grown-ups in their life to learn about this holiday so that we could be educated and and, and know about this this really important moment in history i teased it up front in our interview, uh, you come from from a famed le legacy of of a Juneteenth legacy with your grandfather being Judson Price. I told you before this. Uh, I'm recently new to the Buffalo area, but the name of Judson Price still holds a lot of weight around these parts. We're gonna do a deeper tease for <laughs> Monday's show, our Juneteenth show. Uh, Judson is gonna be a guest with us on on the show, and uh, all 92 years young. Judson Price is going to just a wealth of knowledge there. I'm, I, I cannot wait to, to hear from him because uh, just the mere fact that starting this event, it's an event, like you mentioned, it had been in, it had been a part of Buffalo for a long time. I originally was from DC. DC has been celebrating it for, for not as long, but it's, but it now is a nationally recognized holiday. I know a lot yeah. of people are happy about that because they get the day off, but there's a lot of meaning here. And exactly. Something I, I wanted to, to ask you is you're writing for children. You have to, the big uh, hurdle when writing children's literature is how do you take this very difficult topic to, to digest for an adult? How do you mm -hmm. uh, like kind of condense, condense it for yeah. the mind of a child? And we're talking about slavery. We're talking about uh, freedom. We're talking about things that thankfully they, they don't know when they're, in their small, young, early lives. But how did you go about that process? Yeah, people don't realize that it, it, it is relatively complicated. You're taking these very expansive topics and condensing them into more digestible formats. Now, the Juneteenth story is a little bit on the longer side for a picture book. I think it's closer to about 1,300 words. Um, but still, it goes through you know hundreds of, of years of history. And a lot of people don't give kids credit for all the things that they do understand. Um, and they do understand, you know, what is and what isn't fair. They understand the notion of, you know, secret keeping and deception. Um, they understand the notion of, you know, you know, even trying to break down what it with what it's like to not be free, you know, when you can't live how you want to live or you can't play, you know, when you want to play or how you want to play. It's kind of how we break it down. And, you know, the very opener of the book to help people understand, um, you know, the, the gravity of, of of slavery and and what people went through. So that when the moment in the book comes, when it talks about, you know, freedom is finally here, you know, the kids really get it. It's like coming out of the dark into this, this light. Um, so I think it's just really breaking it down into the simple principles of, of fairness and applying that to 
these different moments in history um, that has been really important for for kids of honestly from kindergarten and up for them understanding you know the concept of Juneteenth. I did uh, two two days of school visits um, over the past couple of days at a school in in Maplewood, New Jersey, and I was speaking to third through fifth graders, and the kids you know the kids get it. Like they're the questions that they have too. I mean, can can help but chuckle at some of them. They're like, well, why couldn't why couldn't the enslavers do the work themselves? And I'm like, million dollar question. Great, they great question, young mind. Yeah, like they could have, but they were just they just didn't. They thought they were too good, you know, or they they thought they were too lazy to do the work themselves. Back breaking labor. Um, so it's 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 just amazing what kids get, and I think because people understand that kids can understand a lot of these big topics, they are very willing to shield them from them um, because they know that uh, that's another topic, of course, um, the banning of books, et cetera. Well, I uh, do, I yeah. do want to get into that because that's, that's yeah. it's a hot button topic. It's, you can't get away from it. Um, yeah. Before we get into that whole mess of a, of a discussion, I'm with you. I think we, we don't give, children enough credit uh i don't want to i don't want it to seem that i wasn't giving them enough credit but it, it it's yeah. it's a lot of history to digest for for a young mind um we we need them to, to to take this in and and we need them i was speaking with a gentleman the other day about uh history curriculum uh, here in western mm -hmm. new york which and like we're going to get to around the rest of the country the, the notion of, of of our history of black history uh, very much intertwined. It is very much American history. You can't okay. divorce or separate it. They need everyone needs to know this because we're what's the, the adage is: if you don't know your history, you don't know your past. You're doomed to repeat it. And mm -hmm. the the sooner we can understand that we're all different. We all come from different walks of life. Some of us had a, a harder path to where we're at right now. We'll go a long way. Yeah. Um, I'm speaking with Alia Agostini. Mm -hmm. Am I saying Agostini correctly? Yeah, yeah. Agu I mean, honestly, Agostini. our family, yeah, our family's like, we inherited this name, so we say Agostini. I know Agostini. maybe it's supposed to be Agostini, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm Lorenzo, but I'm Lorenzo Rodriguez, not Italian, yeah. but you know, <laughs> I'm with Aaliyah Ag Agostini. Uh, <laughs> Agostini, there we go. <laughs> I'm, with okay. Aaliyah, I'm with Aaliyah Agostini, author, Buffalo native, and. Uh, and and Juneteenth royalty per se here in Western oh, New York. <laughs> sure. Well, Judge, that sounds amazing. Yeah. Mr. Price is definitely Juneteenth royalty because and we're gonna. I can't wait to get into his story. But how would you? I mean, I, I, oral tradition is huge. Mm -hmm. In in in, I'm Hispanic. That we're big on that as well. Big extended family learning your history through your your elders. Um, how has the way that you see your history, your black history, uh, mm -hmm. been affected or molded by uh, someone like your grandfather or your family members? Oh, wow. You know, it's so much of what I'm doing right now is because of the influence of my grandparents, I mean, my parents, my, 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 my family in, in general. You know, I've always seen them just working hard to make sure that my my sister, my cousins and I knew about our history to see them working in our community to make it better. You know, so many of my um, family members are actually educators and they, you know, they educated so many young minds in, in Buffalo, including 
um, you know, my both of my grandparents too. And I can see the impact that they've had on people for, I mean, for, for generations. And um, just seeing that and seeing them be part of some of the changes that they wanted to see in their respective environments, like my grandfather and my grandmother are both activists. Um, you know, it just kind of, it kind of put a, a little bit of a fire in me to make sure that, you know, if I see something that needs to be changed, um, that I can not just point fingers, but go about and do the work to, to, to be part of that change. And, you know, that's a lot of the reason why I'm, I'm writing right now. I mean, I do other things in my community too, because I'm like, I see something that needs to be fixed and I'm like, I can be the one to fix it. And so much of that is honestly because of, of, of my grand, my grandparents, you know, my parents. Um, my grandfather still tells stories about when he was in kindergarten. He remembers, you know, back in kindergarten when, when there were books that showed black people in a negative light and how, how, the, how he talked about how some of the black students felt about that and how they would try to, to hide those books because they didn't want people to see us that way. And, you know, he talked about his time, you know, the times when, you know, people were discriminated against in, in high school and, and some of the things that happened to him in school that could have potentially derailed him and how he wound up, you know, being able to push back and, 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 and it's, it's just, it's just incredible when I hear his stories. And of course, you know, like some folks, he does repeat some of them kind of often. You can tell them. <laughs> They're stories worth repeating. Uh, They're, they are wanna, certainly worth repeating. I don't want to steal any of, of, yes. of his thunder for Monday's uh, yeah. sit down, but uh, he's, he's, he's like, uh, like Biggie said, he's got yes, a story to tell. Yes. And he's got a few of those actually. So I'm, I'm here. Got a lot for of those. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got those three books, but you're also... Mm -hmm. A member of Kid Lit and Color. Yes. As we as we get into the the, the topic of, of of representation and BIPOC inclusion in, in literature uh, more and more, what is Kid Lit and Color? What are the what are they about? Yeah. So Kid Lit and Color is a collective of um, actually we're all female um, authors of color um, who have some incredible books, and we we kind of help cross promote our books and really just. Uh, make sure that our books are are out in the masses that people have visibility for us because the reality is sometimes it can be difficult to get um, you know appropriate marketing from um, from our publishers just because resources are stretched thin or you kind of have to prove yourself in order to get that additional investment. Um, so we work together to kind of help cross uh, promote our our work. And I mean, a lot of the authors that are part of it have you know really like award-winning books um you know um aya khalil um tamika fryer brown valerie bowling um a lot of a lot of people that are are, are becoming well known and others that will be well known soon um and you know the the trouble most troubling thing has been how people have been um you know trying to to hide or trying to ban some of the books that you know these incredibly talented women are putting out and they're books that basically talk about our culture and they they talk about joy in so many ways and um it's just been frustrating to see kind of some of the headwinds that we've experienced um you know getting getting our books out there but um it's it's an amazing collective to be a part of and i'm, and I'm really honored and we've we've tiptoed around it we've talked about it but book bannings yeah we spoke prior to this i'm from florida born and raised there uh almost something that nowadays I almost don't like 
professing i'm from miami florida that i do yeah. but even then that's that's so part of florida it's a crazy place <laughs> and it's getting crazier as the, as the days go by with uh with a, a governor who's got presidential aspirations and a governor who's uh, kind of leading the charge on a very very troublesome mission uh, yes and are you so how are you seeing that you're in new jersey as, mm-hmm. a, as a writer of children's literature you mentioned uh, the the members of Kid Lit and Color. Are you seeing uh, uh, the effects of that? I mean, how I'm how I've seen it directly. It's funny. I was actually curious if my book had been challenged at all, um, and I did see that the Juneteenth story was referenced in uh, in a letter uh, sent by some representatives in Texas because somebody challenged ah, the fact that yeah, in te- this is Texas. Um, somebody challenged a line in the the timeline that alluded to George Floyd's racially motivated murder. Mm. And they said that because Derek Chauvin was not convicted of a hate crime. He was not convicted that it was not indeed race-based. So that validates the book and its potential for Texas curriculums. I was like, Oh, this is, this is fascinating. That's, that's really interesting. I'm sure everybody who was marching in a black lives matter protest probably, you know, agrees with that notion. Um, you know, I've been fortunate that I don't think it has been outright banned anywhere, but I have seen some of my colleagues' older works, works that are really about things like harmful things like, you know, block parties, right? Totally innocuous, totally mm-hmm. innocuous things. It's just the fact that it focuses on um, on multicultural lives. And, and, and it's just really... It's it's just really alarming because it's just showing the pendulum swinging in the opposite direction from 2020 when people are trying to focus on illuminating our stories and, you know, talking about, um, you know, white privilege. And now we're kind of going in the opposite direction. I mean, a number of books, book bands actually have been focused on the LGBTQ um, IA population. I live in New Jersey. Um, in fact, a, a neighboring town to mine recently had um, a pretty big campaign against book banning because there were a couple of individuals who attempted to um, ban a couple of books that were about, you know, queer identity um, from from the libraries there. Now, I mean, I live in a very liberal part of New Jersey, so it, fortunately, it was pushed back. But people need to realize that you know these book bannings are happening. They're happening everywhere. There have even been instances where um, there were some a pretty. There was a pretty large publisher, a very well, very well known publisher um, in New York that actually um, attempted to censor an author's uh, mention of racism in in their book, and um, got a tremendous amount of pushback from the literary community because they're like, "How can you not talk about?" racism like what what's this is an r word now this is a, this is a, a curse word um and you you wouldn't expect it um you know from, from this particular publisher so i think you know we're, we're just constantly on on eggshells i've seen people have author visits canceled because one or two parents complained about you know they're making controversial comments on social media um and you know the sad reality is you know i, I feel i feel bad um because uh, I know you're from Miami. It's funny. I'm actually speaking to some folks in, in Miami soon about Juneteenth. Mm. Um, and so many people from there are embarrassed about a few bad actors that are really casting shadows on yeah. 
on the sensibilities of so many Floridians who who want to to share this information. You know, I feel so badly for the teachers and the librarians that wind up having to fight back to be these warriors in the battle of books. Um, it's and oftentimes it's one or two really misinformed people, like the woman who who tried to ban Amanda Gorman's poem and mistakenly attributed to being written by Oprah Winfrey. I'm like, it's, it's just amazing. <laughs> it's a simple Google search. All That's it, all it takes. Well, uh, simple is, is, is a over is an yeah. understatement. You would hope that you could find uh, the legitimate uh, author of, of, of anything these days, but it's just that, that part is part and parcel. I think of the, of the, the issue too, is that uh, there's a lot of misinformation out there and, and, and it's just, fueling this fire that's unfortunately growing in size. It is. It is. Um, um, I mean, we had for a long time, we, we still do, I think, uh, celebrate Banned Book Week sometime mm -hmm. in, I think, October, if I'm not mistaken. I think, yeah, I remember but, fall. Yeah, there's so many different weeks. You mentioned the, you mentioned the, the, the pendulum swing, and we've, we've kind of been through this already. We, we had mm -hmm. the talk about banning uh, Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn, mm -hmm. um, it, it, it's, it, I mean, you can't erase history. I don't know where you stand. I, I hope that you, you're, you're kind of, we're seeing eye to eye that you can't just, can't eliminate yeah. a word and say that it didn't happen or didn't exist. It's been there. It's a, it's a sign of the, those times. Um, exactly. Uh, a gentleman that I spoke with the other day, I think said that the big scare in, in all this, the thing that's fueling this, I feel like, and he, he felt like as well, is that a lot of the, the people in power now or of that time and they're mm -hmm. afraid to find themselves being associated with something of the like and and yeah it's scary but that doesn't mean you have to just erase history that doesn't work like that um yeah it is it's like nobody wants to be on the wrong side of history right so uh, yesterday when I, I was doing these school visits one kid asked why would people attempt to why do they want to ban books and i'm like because they don't want to look bad you know that they don't want to, they don't want to feel bad about themselves or what their ancestors might have done it kind of it it really boils down to saving face and the reality is when you have certain people in certain power structures they're going to continue to to make sure that they they look good that their portrait is pristine and their attempt to do that is by attempting to erase the truth and trying to erase history and trying to control the narrative um but you know the more that people like myself and so many others there there's an amazing amazing community of authors of color and authors and illustrators of color that are that are really creating groundbreaking works and I'm so glad but you know we're we're not going away and the interesting thing is I'm traditionally published but there're also people who who self publish which is honestly kind of a way that we can make sure that our stories are held are, are heard because there are so many gatekeepers that don't necessarily look like us that are that can effectively prevent our stories from being shared um, but, but yeah, people are trying to save face and, um, we're not buying it. Aliyah Agostini. I yeah. keep saying Agostini. Agostini. But no, it's okay. Agostini. Agostini. Yes. Yes. Agostini. Agostini. Yes. Agostini. There it is. Oh. <laughs> it's okay. I was like, it sounds better to go Agostini. It's, it's fine. It's fine. Lorenzo and Aliyah Lorenzo Agostini. Lorenzo yeah, Buffalo, what's next? Wow. Um, Aliyah. You mentioned illustrator. How did how does how does I'm always curious about how the the author if they are if they're not illustrating the work themselves, how do you get in, in touch? How do you how do you build that that relationship? 
Yeah. So when you're traditionally published, typically your publisher pairs you with an illustrator. Um, so in this case, I was uh, for the Juneteenth story, I was paired with an illustrator, um, Sawyer Cloud, who's actually based in Madagascar. And she's wonderful. I'm actually working on another book with her um, that's going to be coming out next April, also related to Juneteenth. Um, but for some of the other books that I've worked on, um, you know, after that, I can sometimes recommend um, illustrators just based on people that I've seen on Instagram or whose book, you know, I, I've whose books I've seen. And if I think that it might um, be a great partner to my words, you know, I can recommend them to my editor. And of course, it's up to them and the, the creative director to decide if that's aligned with the vision. But it, it typically comes from the publisher. Wow, so your illustrator on the, the Juneteenth story from Madagascar. How did, mm -hmm. that, how did that, I mean, did she travel, I, I assume? Or no, everything, I mean, this is all done remote. Because it was done yeah, in 2022, so I assume very much. Yeah, so it was done pandemic. like 2021, you know, to 2022. So um, everything can be done digitally effectively. And so she did illustrate digitally, so it's a lot easier to send the They're files. Everybody doesn't. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I wish I could say I did it myself, but I will tell. I will pass along the message. You inspired the illustration, so yes, yes, it. yes. The words, you know, were, were part of it. Um, but but they they were rendered digitally. Um, it's amazing what could be done digitally. In fact, um, Big Tune, my my second book, was done digitally, but it also incorporates elements of collage in it too. So a lot of people wouldn't even realize that it was done almost entirely with with an iPad, actually. Wow. Yeah. The wonders of technology. Um... Indeed. Now, you've got, as I mentioned, Oprah Winfrey, a little golden book biography, the aforementioned story of Juneteenth, celebrating the end of slavery mm -hmm. in the United States. We've got Big Tune coming up, or already published, correct? Yeah, it came out in March, yeah. Big yeah. Tune's already been published in March. Um, what What's next for Aaliyah? Yeah, so I have um, a few books that were recently announced, so it's pretty exciting. Um, the next book after Oprah, um, Little Golden Book, is actually a follow-up to the Juneteenth story. It is um, a Juneteenth celebration cookbook, and it's a collection of recipes I collaborated with a wonderful chef that's based in the capital region, um, Taffy Elrod. Uh, she helped create some amazing recipes. I conceived them, and she's kind of put her technical expertise to it. So everything from your your barbecue staples, like, you know, very good. Actually, the potato salad recipe is my grandmother's, is my mm. grandmother's potato salad recipe. But we got baked beans, we have, you know, Juneteenth traditional foods. Um, but then the, the, the cookbook also has some additional activities. So some creative activities that I, I developed myself, as well as um, some field trips that people can do to learn about Juneteenth, both digitally and in person. Um, and it also includes some activities like um, games you can play during Juneteenth. And it even includes my favorite part, one of my favorite parts, which is cookbook, uh, cook, cookout DJ 101. So Ooh. how to create a good playlist to, to make your to make your cookout pop. So I love I love music. I'm not a musician, but I love to listen to it. So I kind of have some different categories of things that you can do if you want to actually make this a cookout where people are moving a little bit. Cause that's wow. that's one of my, my side my side things. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I make I make playlists on Spotify and share them with my oh, friends I'm, and I'm, followers. I'm right there with you as someone who burnt burnt uh, a yeah. CD or two back in the day <laughs> legally. Yeah. Oh, yes, right, Napster legally. Not, not, uh, yeah. I had the I had the backups. I, I bought I own the CDs, the albums. That's right. Um, I I'm all about the playlist and getting the right playlist. I feel like 
that's an art form and yes and, as and djs do it so well but the cookout dj that's that's it's important yeah. i try to, i take on that role here in a limited fashion in in western new york when we have our, that's right our, bring that miami flavor right right i gotta gotta throw in a little little pitbull my my guy oh, okay okay i gotta throw in i gotta throw in some trick daddy i gotta throw in some <laughs> oh, oh some, okay okay some rick ross the balls you know oh. growing up yes growing up in buffalo we really loved Miami base. It's so funny. It, it was that's... like all the parties when I was in high school, we played so much Miami base. Oh, that's a it, moment. It, I don't that's know. a moment in time so rich in, in, in yes, music. Yes. Uh, yes. Yes. Trina and all them. Yes. Uh, yes. yes. Man, I, I can't wait for Monday I, or Sunday rather, because Sunday's the big, the big parade, the big festival takes yeah, place yeah, Saturday, uh, the day yeah. before. I think this is the 48th. Yeah, so it's let's see, it's a forty. Is it the forty? I'm like it's a forty seventh anniversary. You're the mathematician but here. Just, yeah, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> I'm putting you on the spot though. I think it'll be it'll be the yeah, because I'm like is forty eighth or forty nine. I guess it's like the forty eighth because it's forty seven years and you mm -hmm. count the first one as zero. There so yeah, forty eighth, forty eighth Juneteenth here in Buffalo, uh, yeah. this weekend. Uh, Judson Price, your grandfather. We will hear from him on Monday. Uh, mm -hmm. We've heard from you. I have a few more questions before we go. A little bit sure. more, more uh, unorthodox questions, but okay. also relevant. You're a children's author. Mm -hmm. In our house, it's a, it's a lot of, it's a lot of llama llama red pajama. It's uh -huh. uh, give. He's been in the news a bit, but uh, Dr. Seuss, yeah. he's he's there. Um, as far as uh, a, a a black author, we have the day you begin. By Jacqueline mm -hmm. Woodson. Love Woodson. that one. What are your favorite children's books? Oh my gosh, my favorite children's books. So I'll just say one of my favorite ones of the past year or so is uh it's actually kind of a, it's an every holiday carol, that's what it's seen as, but uh 12 Dinging Doorbells by Tamika Fryer Brown, who also happens to be in Kidlet and Color with me. Um, it is like a very, I call it a FUBU book. It's very for us, by us. <laughs> and it's kind of inspired by the 12 days of Christmas. And it talks about all the different elements of of a, of a holiday celebration for, for Black folks. And it involves sweet potato pie. And so it's like, on you know, and the first dinging doorbell this holiday I see. And it, and it just kind of goes into like the aunties coming in and then the bougie family coming in. And then <laughs> whole bunch of people come in and basically have a step show or they start you know hooting and hollering because they're in a, in a fraternity in the house it's just it's just a really it's a really really fun one um so I love it I love it so much um you know my kids in particular of course they are they're in kindergarten and um and and in third grade and they're avid readers but they like different things so my son is very much into into nonfiction books so he loves the who will win series and it pits mm. different animals against each other Ooh, that um, sounds awesome. but but i was honored that for his birthday i got to come in and read a book and he actually requested that i come in and read my book big tune which is which is written oh. in um yeah i was like that's oh a, mommy that's, a, that's a big moment that's a big moment yeah that was very sweet i was, made like, it. he's heard the book so many times but he still wanted me to come in and read it so i was like thank you i was like I, i'd be happy to um and you know it's, it's written in rhyme and um you know set in the early 90s and it's it's a lot of it's a lot of fun, but I'm I'm glad that he likes it. Um, and my daughter, you know, is very much into middle grades. Um, I'm so glad that there is such a wealth of amazing authors out there now. I love work by Renee Watson, and you know, and she's gotten into into her work too. Um, but she also really likes like the Dork Diaries too. So I was like, so that's a little bit of my favorites, and also some of like my, my kids' favorites too. Um, but 
we have so many books in our house. We just, our, our shelves are overflowing and I'm grateful for that. But uh, we are yeah. about to put up our, our own little library. That's a big movement now. Oh, nice. The country. Yeah. And yeah. We had one in our old house out in Maryland. Uh, uh-huh. going to bring one now to, to, to Grand Island or where I'm at. And uh, you better believe uh, the Juneteenth story will be in there. Okay. Good. Well, we'll we, we have it, but we'll have a, another. Yeah. 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 No worries. Um, no worries. And last one, last question for you, Leah. in your bio, you're an mm-hmm. avid fossil hunter. <laughs> How, where, where does one go hunting for fossils in New Jersey? Yeah. So or it's it funny. Elsewhere? Well, we started, I love fossil hunting when I was a kid. And then during the pandemic, you start doing activities that you wouldn't have you know, thought about before. And I was like, you know, I love fossil hunting. So I literally went on Google and I was like, fossil hunting New Jersey. <laughs> and there are a couple of places, just like maybe like a mile inland from the Jersey shore that like millions and millions of years ago were actually, they were covered by the sea. Mm-hmm. So you can go to these places that are in their like little creeks, but then they have these huge, um, I don't know, it's like escarpments or something. And they're you can see stone and you can see imprints of fossils on them and you can even find loose fossils. So we find like, we found like shark teeth and um, old clams. So you've, you have our found, favorite. You have found something. You have discovered yes. some oh, yeah, ancient yeah. bone or, 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 well, not teeth, bone. Yeah. or teeth. Yeah, we found teeth. No, 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 uh, no uh, amoeba. What is it? Um, no, no tri- triglobites or anything. Oh, so so let me tell you something. So because we're speaking to Western New York audiences, there is excellent fossil hunting in the Buffalo area. Really? And actually, the last time we went, I think, was in Buffalo. So, um, oh, goodness, it's I'm trying to remember the name of the place. It is it is to the south and it was formerly, I think, a rock quarry and they turned it into a fossil park. And um, there's lots of shale. So it's kind of relatively easy to find. And we found enough. We found the most trilobites. Um, there. So trilobites, brachiopods, um, I'm trying to think what else, but yeah, a lot of trilobites and brachiopods, but it's hard to find intact tri- trilobites because they tend to separate because, you know, the different pieces of, of the insect. But when you can find a fully intact one, that was like my dream. My kids actually have stuffed trilobites here. Okay. I'm really geeking out. You're right really now, geeking I out. I love it. No, no. I, I'm, I consider yeah. myself a nerd and a geek about things. So yeah. when you find yeah. someone that's passionate about fossils, you got to <laughs> ask about it. Yeah, no. So, so my son is very much into it. My daughter and my husband, not so much. My husband, he's like, you know, there's mud involved. Like, you know, I'm from Brooklyn. Like, we don't do this. <laughs> not an outdoorsy type. Yeah, no, no, that's not so not, much. As not me. about the fossil. Not no Jurassic Park fossil digs in his future. Yeah, no. But there's a fossil. There actually is a fossil park that's opening in South Jersey. I think they had. They discovered. Um, I thought it was a megalodon down there. They they discovered mm. some pretty large uh, dinosaur fossils down there. So it's attached to a university in South Jersey. So I'm excited awesome. for when it opens. And at least my son and I will take a trip down there. So, very yeah. very cool. Uh, yeah. You gotta you gotta keep them busy. You gotta you gotta come yes. up with adventures and 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 stories stories exactly. like like you have made for for the rest of us. And I appreciate that, Aaliyah, Aaliyah yes. Agostini. <laughs> yes, Lorenzo. <laughs> You've got it great. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to be like, I've been saying my last name wrong my entire life. It should be. I, I apologize I to our no, no, no. American population. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not trying to, I'm not, I'm just, we're having fun with it. And yeah, no, it's just like, <laughs> I think it, it probably deserves more Agostini, you know, it's, it's, it's how it really is. But our family is just kind of like, 
We're just like Agostini, I think. Like we're, we're taking that guess. L. Agostini. L. Agostini. Yes, we kind of, you know, when when you inherit names through all kinds of different ways, you know how that goes. Um, you, we we just take them on as our own. So. Aliyah, thank you so very much for joining us today. This, is, this has been a great conversation. We appreciate it. Thanks so, thanks so much, Lawrence. That was a great. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Take care. Happy Juneteenth. Likewise. Happy Juneteenth. We'll be back to Buffalo What's Next on WVFO after this. This is Buffalo What's Next, where we have conversations with the community about moving forward. To have your voice heard, press the Talk to Us button on the WBFO app, and we'll work to get your questions and comments on the air. Join us on Twitter at WBFO or email us at news at WBFO.org. Together, we'll have the conversations that are needed. This is WBFO, your NPR station. This is Buffalo What's Next, and recently we took the show down Main Street for a taste of community. Barbershop community, that is. Courtesy of the shop Signature Cuts. It's a busy Thursday in advance of a Saturday when most of the barbers will be heading to Connecticut for the Barber Expo. Kenny Harris, owner and operator of Signature Cuts, says it's money and time well spent. You know, being an elder, being an elder of the shop, you know, I got a lot of stars around me, man, young stars. Yeah. So we gonna show them the way. They gotta, they gotta see what's the next thing going on. You know the, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But these guys are good. They got a, you know, great opportunity. Um, the business is actually starting to flourish on a whole nother level. Far as just more corporate, you know what I mean. Far yeah. as just, we got all walks of life that comes by here. You know what I mean. Like, we're not, we're not just one style barbershop. We cut everybody here. We service everybody, right. everyone. You know what I mean. Right. So, it's a good opportunity, man, for everybody, man. We like, I call us, I call us the melting pot of Buffalo. You know, we the melting pot of Buffalo. You gonna never, you never gonna see all kind of nationalities and walks of race in one area consistently. Right. All that, that's what we do, and that's what we, that's what we feel, that's what we about. You know what I mean? All eleven barbers are busy. It's craft. It's performance art. This is Tarika Moppins. We spoke this winter, not long after she and her co-workers pulled people from the Christmas blizzard for a weekend safe and alive in a barbershop. And um, how's business been today? Business been busy today. Um, tomorrow's probably gonna be a little bit more busier because we all leaving for the Barber Expo um, Saturday. So everybody really wanted to book their appointments for um, for Friday. So it's pretty busy for us. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. then you're going, like you said, a Barber Expo in Connecticut. Oh yes, yes, yes. Have you been to one before? Um, I've been to one in Buffalo before. I've never been to one out of out of uh, out of state. That's so this is the first day. time. It's probably it's majority of us is probably our first time going okay. to a barber expo out of town. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you know kind of what to expect. Oh yeah, for the most yeah for the most part, you see a lot celebrity barbers, uh, Instagram famous barbers, and all kind of all kind of stuff. Give me one celebrity barber and one Instagram famous barber if you don't mind. Um. 360 Jeezy is a is a celebrity barber. Um, the other lady name I follow her. She's Mayweather's barber. Oh um, yeah, Floyd Mayweather. He is. Um, so she's out in Vegas. Iced out, iced out barber. She is Thanks Vegas. Now. She's in Vegas. How'd you know that? We're Mayweather's. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, she she's yeah. in Vegas. Yep. Yeah, yeah. He, so she's a celebrity. You been out to Vegas? I've been to Vegas, but I never went to her shop. I passed by it. Yeah. I, Next time I'll go, I'm definitely going. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so you learned something. The anniversary of 514 for Tarika was spent 
honoring Mother's Day. Her mom is gone, so she celebrated her aunt as family and friends came together on what she called a bittersweet day. What are you looking forward to next in your career? My career? I want to be a celebrity barber. <laughs> I want to travel. I want to be on uh, movie sets and doing stuff like that with the celebrities and, you know, just... I'm, I can do that, though, because I don't have any children, single, <laughs> and um, just no really no, no responsibilities. <laughs> and where do you get your creative ideas from? Oh, that's a good question. Everybody around me. Yeah. All, all, my, all my barber brothers and sisters yeah. get my creative ideas from it. Look at that. Look at that design right there. That's creative. Very creative. So I get my ideas and I get inspired by all these guys in here. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then you have to like probably look at something the shape of somebody's head, right? All that, mm -hmm. To blend it all together. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Wow. Sometimes, sometimes things just be off the dome. You don't really got to plan it. Just go for it and hope for the best. You know, I was no good in geometry when I was in, in high school, but it sounds like there's a ton of geometry in, in doing that, right? Nah. You don't no, think no, so? No. You just got to eyeball it. You eyeball something, you know. You got to have that picture in your head of what you want it to look like, and then you can create that. Once you got it in your head and how you want it to look, you, you, you visualize it. Yes, yes. Yeah. Nice. That's outstanding. Absolutely. All right. <laughs> it's standing room only in the waiting area, and nobody seems to mind. Everyone is enjoying the company. One of Buffalo's singing cops stops yeah. in to say hello. Producer Lorenzo Rodriguez hops in a chair for a fresh cut. Associate producer Charles Gilbert makes an appointment for Saturday. Time and basketball coach Jason Rowe sits in another chair, looking like a coach should after his school won its first Manhattan Cup in two decades. For Kenny Harris, the sport was football, though his vocation seems to be making friends and keeping friends. You know, I'm going to tell you a story, right? I was... um. One day I was not, this was when I was playing with the 49ers, right? Yeah. And I um I was working, I was actually stretching. I was in the stretch line. I'm like, man, I could cut hair, man. It's so much easier. You know? And then I was like, you know, it, you know, it's, it's it was nice and everything. It was, you know, it was I said I got I gotta I gotta cut hair. And it was just always in me. Like it was in me. Like, like I had the I just, I just had it like a knack. You know, when I was in college, I cut the whole team. I was a team barber, and the coach would always tell me, you got to get some sleep, man. You got to get some sleep. But you go cut everybody here before the game. What about you? You know, and I, you know, I was, I went to the University of Pittsburgh, you know. I, so you didn't get a lot of sleep when you were playing ball? No. I did, but I didn't. Because that's like. It's tough to recover if you're not getting your rest. Exactly. No, you're right. You're 100%. Yeah. But I was actually playing. I was, I was. I was trying to work. I was working, you know what I mean? So, Always working, huh? Yeah. They come from your, is that like a work ethic from your dad or your mom? My dad, my grandparents, yes. Dad? Yes, yep. My dad, my grandparents, like my grandfather was paralyzed, man, from the waist down. So he had me doing all the work for him, you know what I mean? And I, and I loved it, though. Like, I didn't even realize what I was doing, but it was, you know, it taught me to become a better, a better person, a better man, you know what I mean? To be consistent, more consistent with everything. Is your dad from Buffalo? Yeah, he's from Buffalo. Yeah. Parents from Where Buffalo. Where do you go to school? He went to Bennett. You went to My Bennett? dad went to Bennett High School, yep. All right, so you're 44, so your dad's probably older than me then. I'm 61. He's about 69. 69. Set, so yep. he was a little past the Bob Lanier. Yep. Was he with Curtis Aiken? Was he in that, that, that Actually, time? I think he was a little before Curtis Aiken, a little too. Before, so Curtis Aiken before. is my guy. You know he went to Pitt also. 
See, that's right. I forgot that. He did. Did he bring you down? He did. He he welcomed me. Definitely welcomed me into Pittsburgh. Definitely, man. You know, and he kind of inspired me to get a barbershop also because he had a barbershop right there on the hill, right near, right on campus. Oh, come on. Yep. Oh. Yeah. How's he doing? He's good. He's good. I've actually, I haven't talked to him in a while, though. But he's still in Pittsburgh. But I know he's still in Pittsburgh. Yeah, doing his thing. Does he keep his roots around here? Yeah, definitely. He definitely, definitely. Okay. Nice. All right. All right. So your dad went to Bennett. What did he do for a living? My dad actually was a, um, he was a lab tech, like engineer. He's an engineer. Engineer? Yeah. Yeah, he worked at uh, Honeywell. Honeywell. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. All right. All right. Yeah. Now, you went to St. Joe's. Yep, I went to St. Joe's. But if you were to, did you grow up in the city of Buffalo? Yeah, I grew up on Wyoming and Delavan, yep. Wyoming and Delavan. Yep. So what we're school would you have gone to if you didn't go to Joe's? Man. Kenny Harris calls Bennett D1 High and thinks the city of Buffalo is full of great athletes, but they need year-round facilities to reach their potential. He says his shop has a role to play in the community. That's why they recently hosted a youth basketball tournament at McCarthy Park. That's why they gave out free cuts outside the Jefferson Avenue tops last year. Another barber comes free. It's Justin Hawkins, best known as Juju. They say he's a LeBron James fan, but today he's wearing the colors of my favorite team, the Buffalo Braves. What about the Buffalo Braves? You're not old enough to remember the Buffalo Braves. Yeah, I am. No, I'm definitely not old enough. I just like the style. I like to represent Buffalo as much as possible. Yeah, you're from Buffalo? Yeah, I'm from Buffalo. Where'd you go to school? Arch Tech. Oh, yeah? Arch yeah, Tech, yeah? Yeah. yeah. Oh, nice. When did you become a barber? Ten years ago, I got the barber shop. Ten years ago. Yeah. Yeah. And what, uh, what, um, are you going to this expo in, uh, Connecticut this yeah, weekend? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just booked all my stuff today. Okay. Yeah. What do you Besides, expect? You know, I don't know what to expect. This is my first time ever. I've been cutting for 10 years and never been to one. So I definitely expect it to be big. A lot of barbers, a lot of stuff I've never seen before. I'm yeah. excited. Yeah. Is it a way of uh, getting a look at other people's ideas and maybe use it on your own? Exactly. Because I'm super creative. So I like to see what other people go do and see what type of creativity that could, that could involve in me. Like, so if I see something, I'm like, okay, I can put certain things together and be like, okay. I can do that now. So do you do you visualize the design that you're gonna do sure. before you go, yeah? For sure, yeah, yeah. It's almost like it's almost like some movie type stuff. Like I can literally see it and I can it's like I'm tracing it and it's not actually there, but I can see it as if it is there already. Wow. Yeah. Now, did you ever always were you able to do that like with like drawing? It, yeah, so like I, I was always really good at drawing. Oh. Yep. So it, it, it transferred naturally to Barbara. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. That makes that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. So when I was first coming up, like as a barber, that was like one of the first things I actually did was like draw designs to build up my clientele until I got good at the other stuff. That stuff came naturally to me. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And like the instruments, were no problem learning the instruments and no. the blades and stuff like that. Surprisingly, no. It was pretty easy. No cutting. Nobody yeah. got cut. No. Nope. No. Nope. <laughs> I couldn't. I couldn't do it. Just not a chance now. Real. It, it, it's difficult. I wouldn't. Buy somebody just to jump in and try it, but for me it came naturally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I feel like that's that's certain stuff don't come natural for everybody. Like it might not be what came natural for me, but it might be another area of cutting here that come natural for everybody. I think it's interesting that that, that you can visualize it. Like yeah, that. I don't. I don't think I, a lot of people can do that. Right. I, I I don't think so either. So yeah, I I like that. I like that. I'm able to do that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah. So how's business been? 
It's been really good. Yeah. Yeah. It's been really good. I've been kind of, I had a side, side of clientele for at least like eight years now. So business is usually always good for me. Yeah. Yeah. For real. Yeah. How many days? How many days a week do you work then? Six. You work six Monday six. through Saturday. Yeah, Monday through Saturday, take off Sunday, and I do have shorter days like Monday, Wednesday, Tuesday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I have shorter days, and then like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I'm here all day. From oh, okay. So you can cut out a little early on the other day. Exactly. Makes up for it a little bit. Exactly. Yeah. And those those are slower days. People usually want a haircut for the weekend. So Thursday, Friday, like today, Thursday, I got in at eight twenty. I'd probably be here to to seven o'clock. Hey, like, so one of the things, so like, about the business, if you, I mean, you gotta, like, take care of all your expenses and all that stuff, you know, right? I don't know, how, how do you do that? So, so, you know, I actually just got my LLC probably two months ago, and now I'm figuring out now, but now I got a business bank account, and I got a business credit card, and I just do all my business all through the business credit card. Okay, so it's all right there, like, the yeah, one the one spot, yeah, so the, the business credit card is also through the business bank account, so everything is in one account, and then... So it's actually a lot more simple because now all the transactions on that card is just my expenses. So it's actually simple for my I gotta figure that out because I <laughs> stuff beats me up. It's yeah, very yeah. I YouTube everything, so I look into all that stuff and figure out what's the best way to do it. Yeah, you learn off of YouTube. Yeah, huh? everything. I actually, I actually went. I learned how to cut hair off of YouTube. I never went to barber school. <laughs> yeah, I learned off of YouTube. I learned everything off of YouTube. That's incredible. Yeah. That is really, really incredible. Wow. Nice. Well, very good. Nice, uh, nice talking to you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Producer Lorenzo Rodriguez remains in the chair, his barber Blake giving his thick black hair the full treatment. Waiting next is Tishan Udea Kumar. Graduate of UB, he's from downstate and offers a fresh perspective. Uh, I would say haircuts up here are definitely a little a little better. I definitely get a cleaner cut up here. Um, uh, it might be a little bit more pricey, but you know, it, it's definitely worth, it's definitely worth the extra dollar or two to, to get a nicer cut up here. The guys up here do a good job and keep it really professional. And it's always a, I always enjoy coming in and getting a cut, feel good walking out. Tishan agrees signature cuts is a community of its own. In fact, a friend introduced him to Blake. Now Blake is his barber and his friend. Yeah. Uh, Blake's a Buffalo guy, you know, he's a hard working kid. He's, he's around my age, 22. Um, you know, he's just, he's a good guy, means well, and, you know, you can talk to him about anything. So, you know, I, I, that's, 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 you know, that's Bill's big Bills fan. Yeah. And yeah. 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 The shop is full of Bills fans. During the season, many of the barbers are out at Highmark Stadium on the day before home games, giving fresh cuts to the team. We're also in the stadium on game days, sporting up Bills Mafia. The biggest Bills fan has to be Kenny Harris. He wears it under his neck, a huge gold Bills logo hanging off a thick chain. Before leaving, I ask him about his most famous client, Damar Hamlin, and what's in store for his future. It's whatever he wants it to be, you know? D-Ham is D-Ham, man. Like, you know, like I said, D-Ham is resilient. That dude is resilient. He represents Buffalo, you know what I mean? Like. We're a city that keep getting knocked down and we coming back. And that's like him. He got knocked down and he coming back. Like, he good. We gonna be good, man. Like, I don't know. That's my boy, man. He good peoples, man. Real good peoples. Family, family-oriented person. 
you know, let's go do Lorenzo is out of the chair, so it's time to wrap up this special Buffalo What's Next. Thanks to Kenny Harris and Signature Cuts for having us for some fresh thoughts and some fresh cuts. From Main Street in Buffalo, this is Buffalo What's Next on WBFO. You're listening to WBFO and WBFO HD1 Buffalo, WOLN Olean, and WUBJ Jamestown, your NPR station.